The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Episode 254 of the Read to Lead podcast is brought to you in part by Gusto. Easy online payroll benefits and HR built for modern small businesses. Demo Gusto free for three months when you run your first payroll. Visit gusto.com slash read to lead. Now, one thing I'm definitely not going to think about when I am, say, sitting on my deathbed, hopefully a long time from now, is, oh, wow, I wish I had worked longer hours. It's that time again. Welcome to the Read to Lead podcast. I'm Jeff Brown. It's the podcast dedicated to your personal and professional growth, where reading consistently and intentionally is key. I have one of the best jobs in the world. I get to read for a living and bring you each and every week the key insights and main ideas from some of the best books from some of today's most successful and inspiring authors. And today we'll be joined by Steve Glaveski. Steve's brand new book is called Employee to Entrepreneur, How to Earn Your Freedom and Do Work That Matters. Are you living for the weekend? Are you dissatisfied with your work? Maybe you're itching to do something that's important to you? Wondering how to explore whether entrepreneurship or freelancing or starting your own business is right for you without giving up your day job? Well, Employee to Entrepreneur is your guide to leaving your job behind and building something for yourself. I'll be asking Steve to share about why he believes entrepreneurship is a state of mind, questions to ask yourself if you believe you've become miserably comfortable, and more about what that means in just a bit, how to train yourself to find your passion and your purpose, and much more. And if this is indeed a topic that interests you and something you want to dig into a little deeper, you'll be interested to know that this spring I'm hosting an online conference, a virtual summit called the Boss Free Virtual Summit. I'm bringing together 30-plus of the best speakers on this topic from around the globe. And the best part, the summit is going to be free to attend. If you want to be kept in the loop on this, be sure you're on my mailing list. To sign up, go to readtoleadpodcast.com and put your first name and email address into the form on the right side of the page. You'll receive a list of my 12 all-time best business and personal growth books, and you'll be first in line to get details about the Boss Free Virtual Summit. Again, that's readtoleadpodcast.com and put your first name and email address in the form on the right side of the page. Steve Glaveski is on a mission to unlock the latent talent of people across the globe so that they can create more impact on humanity and lead more fulfilling lives. A lofty goal, you might say. Uh, He is the co-founder and CEO of Collective Campus, an innovation accelerator with offices in Australia and Singapore and clients all over the world. Uh, He's founded several businesses, hosts the award-winning, I'm not jealous, Future Squared podcast, and is also a best-selling author. His brand new book, out just as of a few weeks ago, is called Employee to Entrepreneur, How to Earn Your Freedom and Do Work That Matters. And I am loving the book so far. Steve, thank you for being here, and welcome to the Read to Lead podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Jeff. Well, Steve, a lot of books on this topic uh, focus on the how of entrepreneurship, Mm -hmm. 
but I, I know you feel that kind of neglects the most important ingredient, which is which is state of mind. Why do you believe entrepreneurship is is a state of mind? Sure. So the what is essentially easy in many respects, because if I look at what former US President Calvin Coolidge said, nothing in the world will take the place of persistence. Talent will not, genius will not, education will not. The world is full of educated derelicts, as he put it. <laughs> um, so doing is is one thing, but doing it for the long haul and the, the persistence piece and the patience piece are absolutely critical because entrepreneurship for me is about taking something new to the world. It's not just about opening, say, a new hairdressing salon because you're not essentially doing anything new there. It's not fraught with uncertainty. Mm. Whereas entrepreneurship, building a startup, as Peter Thiel put it, is a group of people who are convinced of something that no one else believes to be true. And so if that's the case, then you're dealing with uncertainty that underpins your business model, your distribution channels, your customer segments, your problems, your solutions, absolutely everything. And the only way you're going to really play the long game is if you have that mindset where you are comfortable with uh, rejection, where you have a really strong and positive relationship with adversity. Otherwise, when the going gets tough, which it inevitably will, you will throw in the towel. And so that mindset piece gets um, supported quite a bit where you actually believe in, in what you're doing. And not only that, but where you are aligned with what you're doing um, by way of your natural inclinations and your strengths. Because that just means that you'll do a better job, which feeds back into your motivation. And not only that, but you'll see results, which again, helps you stay the course. So purpose, um, alignment with your strengths and natural inclinations um, will go a long way to making sure you, you, you play that long game. And, um, you know, reflecting on some of my own past entrepreneurial pursuits, uh, one of which was a company called Hotdesk, which was essentially an office sharing platform, no dissimilar to an Airbnb, but for meeting rooms and office space. I worked on that for two years and anybody who's built a marketplace will tell you that they're incredibly difficult to build because you've got your demand side of the market, your supply side of the market, and you need to bring them together in a meaningful way. And, um, you know, after two years on this journey, I had a lot of success building the supply side, the demand side, not as much, but I reflected on that underlying sort of purpose and why. And I wasn't really driven to be a, a glorified real estate agent, <laughs> as I put it. Uh, and so it was much easier for me to, to throw in the towel because I didn't really believe in it. And I didn't really enjoy the, the rejection and the adversity that came with that as much as I would have, or as I would, didn't lean into it rather as much as I would have if I was doing something that I truly believed in as well. I love that. Well, for somebody, Steve, who's, who's unsure of, of what they ultimately want to spend their life pursuing, what are some ways they can train themselves to, to, to maybe find their passion and purpose? What advice would you give that person who's struggling, in other words? Yeah, well, the thing about uncertainty, especially around uh, uncertainty around what you want to spend your time doing, what you want to double down on, you need to just, in, in that case, experiment. So I heard something, something the other day, which was really interesting, whereby if you found yourself in a, say, distant planet, um, in a museum and the, muse the, the planet was about to blow up but there was this rocket ship that was going to take you away to safety but you could pick 100 items from this museum you didn't know anything about their value so you just decided that you would pick a, a nice mix of things from from across the museum now if you had a if you run that thought experiment again and you're in you're on planet earth we're about to explode for whatever reason <laughs> and you're in this museum but you know what every particular piece of item 
uh, is worth, how valuable it is. You're going to pick the most valuable things. Now, what you need to do where there is uncertainty is try different things. Um, and, and I'm a big believer for anybody that's listening to your show who perhaps may be in their 20s, especially, um, which you know may be a smaller percentage of your audience, I'm not sure, but they should definitely treat their 20s as an apprenticeship. Because what I see so many people doing is they'll go off to college, they'll get the degree, and then they might just spend the next 10, 15 years in the same profession, you know, climbing the ranks at an Ernst & Young or a KPMG or a JP Morgan and spend their whole lives in that one profession. And they don't try enough different things to really identify what they like, what they don't like, what their natural inclinations are, what their strengths are, and where they can identify more potentially opportunities to explore as well because creativity, identifying problems, identifying solutions, I mean, that's a byproduct of having collected a lot of dots, having had a lot of different experiences. Mm. And then over time, your your brain starts to form connections between those experiences and that's where you identify these opportunities. So if you're not sure what you want to do, firstly, are you having those experiences? Have you had disparate um, set of experiences in, the, in, in your professional life, in your personal life? If not, perhaps get a little bit more adventurous. Um, and then the second piece really is, which is kind of um, paradoxically somewhat, is that once you have had those experiences, and even if you haven't, you still just need to take that first step because you're not going to have all of the answers from day one. doesn't matter how many experiences you've had, which reminds me of the story of the alchemist uh, from Paulo Coelho in which a young shepherd goes on a journey across the Egyptian desert in, in search of treasure and spoiler alert, only to find that the treasure was at his feet the entire time. Mm. But he would not have learned that without going on that journey. And entrepreneurship is very much the same way. Like a lot of people are waiting for the perfect idea, but there's no such thing. And oftentimes you could have something that you think is a perfect idea. You'll take it to market, you'll get some feedback and you'll learn that well. There's so much that I need to change. And then over numerous iterations, you will get from a seed of an idea to something that potentially may actually make you some some money. So don't fall into the trap of paralysis analysis and collect a lot of dots would be the two key things I would say there. Collecting a lot of dots, I would argue, would probably include making sure you've got the right software at hand if you're going to launch your own business, especially if that eventually leads to having employees. I recommend Gusto, an easy online payroll benefits and HR solution built for modern small businesses. They're sponsoring today's episode, and I want to take just a moment to tell you a little bit about them. Some things you may not know is that 90% of customers say switching to Gusto was easy. 85% of customers say running payroll is easier now than their previous provider. And 74% of customers says it takes 10 minutes or less to run payroll with Gusto. With Gusto, there's unlimited payrolls, off-cycle payrolls, multiple states, multiple schedules and pay rates, direct deposit, checks you can print yourself, employees and contractors, everything you could need. Gusto keeps everything in one place, all online. And it integrates with your favorite tools to make your life easier. To demo Gusto free for three months when you run your first payroll, just visit gusto.com slash read to lead. That's gusto.com slash read to lead. Well, one question that I love that Steve asks early in the book is, are you miserably uncomfortable? Uh, Steve, what, what are the things you ask yourself to assess whether you need to make any changes to the kind of work you're doing or how you're doing it so that you don't fall into that miserably uncomfortable trap. Yeah, well, I mean, I tell that story because like like many people, I found myself in my late 20s working for a large uh, big four accounting firm mm. and 
while I had the six-figure paycheck, the corporate junkets, the business class flights around the world, all that good stuff, um, deep down, I felt like I was living a false purpose. And that false purpose was ultimately a byproduct of my upbringing, a byproduct of societal conditioning, and just doing what would feed my ego by way of the association with the brand and the money coming in. But no alignment to my underlying sort of purpose and no alignment to my underlying strengths or natural inclinations. And so what happens there is, um, I I call it miserably comfortable because Mm -hmm. I am comfortable financially, but I'm miserable deep down where I find myself at the end of the day, standing on the train station platform or catching an Uber or whatever I'm doing, thinking, what on earth did I actually contribute today? Um, So for me, I actually introduce uh, something in the book called the five F's. And this is something really simple that people can reflect on when they are deciding on whether or not they want to make that jump. And the five F's are one, uh, freedom. So freedom can be broken down into two buckets, freedom from things. So freedom from, uh, say, the nine to five grind, freedom from a boss you don't like, uh, freedom from work you don't enjoy doing, um, and then freedom to do things. So freedom to do the kind of work you enjoy doing, freedom to explore new ideas that perhaps you may not get to explore within uh, the, the four walls of a large organization. So that's the, the first one. The second one would be uh, fulfillment. Um, so do you find yourself doing fulfilling work? Bringing this back to um, Abraham Maslow's hierarchy of of needs, the very top of that hierarchy is self-actualization. Now, do you feel yourself learning and growing every day and getting to that point of the pyramid, or are you operating perhaps a little bit lower down that pyramid where it's all about money, putting food on the table, and living a comfortable existence? Mm. Now, that may satisfy some people. Some people, that is enough. But for a lot of people um, like yourself, people like like myself who want something more, who want to create, who want to add value to the world, that's not enough. So fulfillment. Uh, next one would be around uh, friends and family. So do you actually have enough time to spend with with friends and, and family. That's something that I think is often overlooked because we hear a lot of stuff from um, people in the in the startup space like your Gary V's of the world who mm. just tell you to hustle, 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 work your twelve to fourteen hour days. And oftentimes that comes out of detriment to family. And you know, one thing I'm definitely not going to think about when I am, say, sitting on my deathbed, hopefully a long time from now, um, is oh wow, I wish I had worked longer hours. Um, I was a fool to do that. No, people are going to think things like, I wish I had spent more time with family, right? Um, I wish I had spent more time enjoying the world, going on adventures, learning more about myself and putting myself out of my comfort zone. That's the kind of stuff I look back on and and remember 5, 10, 15 years from now. You know, the question I like to ask myself when I decide on whether or not I want to go on a journey of some kind or an adventure is, am I going to remember this in five years? Mm. And if the answer is yes, then I more often than not take that step. Um, So that was the third one, third F. Uh, The fourth one was around financial independence. So there's a lot of people out there that scream, follow your passion, follow your passion. And yeah, that may be well and good, but maybe my passion isn't actually going to make me any money. Uh, The reality is we do live in a world where you need to exchange currency for goods and services. um, So you need to make enough. Now, what enough looks like to you may be different for different people. Um, I know uh, Daniel Kahneman released that report, which has been you know, off, often quoted around happiness and that once you reach 70,000 US dollars beyond that, there is no direct correlation with happiness increasing 
in lockstep with the amount of money you make. So how much is enough? And I also found that even though my financial situation now is is basically better than what it was in the corporate world, for the first few years of my entrepreneurial journey where I was paying myself a lot less, I learned that actually I don't need that big corporate paycheck because I was just spending it on stuff I didn't need. Mm. Just slightly more expensive clothes, a slightly more expensive car, <laughs> slightly more expensive utensils for the kitchen and things of that nature. It didn't really give me that much additional happiness. So that's a big one. And then um, I believe the la- that was four. So the last one was around fitness. Mm. So, and fitness isn't just, you know, physical fitness, getting in the gym, pumping up those muscles. It's just fitness of mind and body. You know, I see a lot of people who perhaps have found success, say in the corporate world, but uh, physically, they're sluggish. They're you know overweight. Um, they haven't ever worked on their emotional intelligence. They're anxious all the time and irritable, and, and um, that's the way they carry themselves in their work as well. And you may have success in one domain, but that doesn't mean that the rest of your life is okay. And I, whenever I think of that particular example, one person I, I think of is uh, Larry King, the TV interviewer. You know, one of the best um, interviewers of all time. He's interviewed something like I think it's. 50,000 people or it could be 6,000 people. Mm. I might have to uh, just let that one ponder there. People can Google that one. But (laughs) despite that, he's been married. He's been married eight times, uh, three times to the same woman, I believe it was. So while he's excellent in one domain, not so great in other domains. And that's one thing that people need to bear in mind. Whenever they are going on these, these journeys, don't compare yourself because you can compare yourself. You compare, you could compare your back foot towards against someone else's front foot. But there's going to be a lot of other things that you're not seeing about that person. Um, and there's going to be a lot of things where you are actually better um, or at least more progressed than that person is. So don't compare yourself. And if you have to compare yourself, compare yourself to who you were yesterday rather than with someone else. Mm, love the five Fs. That was one of my favorite parts of what I've, what I've read thus far. I know that you feel that, that success and failure are intertwined, are inseparable. How, how have you managed, uh, Steve, the inevitable failures and, and rough spots uh, along, along your journey? Sure. So as your, what your podcast essentially encourages is read to lead. So I've done a lot of reading in my time. And it's, it's funny because initially I would read a lot of business books and, and nonfiction books um, of that persuasion. But what I've found over time is that in order to make better decisions, you need to read all sorts of books. And that is, again, going back to creativity, the intersection of disparate ideas and domains. And for me, uh, I, have learned to develop a good relationship with adversity through books on philosophy from the likes of, say, Marcus Aurelius, um, Meditations, um, Letters from a Stoic by Seneca the Younger. So a lot of these uh, school of Stoicism, so which is about 2000 to 2500 years old, which essentially teaches you that you are in control of your mind, not external events. And and by realizing that you will find strength. So not being at the mercy of external events, but being in control of how you choose to interpret and respond to whatever happens to you has been huge for me. Mm. But not only reading, also putting into action, putting yourself into positions where you can practice developing a healthy relationship with adversity. So over the past year or so, I I have done numerous things to do that. For example, getting up onto open mic nights and and putting together (laughs) a stand-up comedy set, right? (laughs) Jeff, I've been in in front of audiences of say three or 400 people um, talking about entrepreneurship, which is completely my comfort zone now. But you get me in front of 10 to 15 people in a smoky back alley bar somewhere, and all they're expecting for me to do is make them laugh. That is a whole different level of confronting. <laughs> um, so, so putting yourself in those situations, you know, for me, it's also learning how to surf. And every time you paddle out, you get knocked off a wave. And, you know, every part of you, your ego is just getting tested. I can look around and see kids 
you know, one quarter my age, just effortless, effortlessly catching waves because they've been raised out there on the beach. And, you know, that hurts the ego. But at that point, when you're getting knocked off that wave, you have a choice. You either go back to the, to the shore and just read a book or you say, okay, well, this is part of the learning journey. Uh, anything worth doing is worth doing poorly until you can do it well. So let's get back on this board. Let's keep paddling out. And then when you catch that wave, it's incredibly rewarding. So by doing things like that, it also helps you build that healthy relationship with adversity so that when it does show up in business, you're ready for it. Mm. Well, as, as I read uh, through the book, uh, one of the things that caught my attention was just all that you've accomplished in, in what I would consider is a relatively short period of time. And so one question I wanted to ask you is how do you get so much done? What, 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 are, what are some of your tricks for increasing your output, in other words? Sure. And that is something that people often ask me. And it's funny because people say, well, you know, how can you write books and host podcasts and, and run your business and um, create a piece of software and, and, and go surfing and do all this stuff? Like, aren't you spreading yourself thin? Because um, everything I hear is that you should just focus on the one thing. Mm. And I, I agree to an extent. I say you should focus on the one right thing at a time rather than just one thing. Because when people will spread themselves thin, it's because they're focusing on all the wrong things. So I recently had an article published on Harvard Business Review called The Case for the Six-Hour Workday. Um, so people can can find that, just, just Google that uh, article name. But essentially in the article, I introduce a framework called P-Coats, which is just visual mnemonic. So think of the winter jacket. And P-Coats essentially stands for Prioritize, Cut, Outsource, Automate, test and start. So really quickly running through those prioritizes essentially, you know, I, I use things like the 80-20 rule. If I have a task list in front of me of say 10 tasks, what I'll do is just apply out of 10, what's the value of this task divided by what's the cost in terms of time um, and then maybe some sort of urgency waiting. And that will force me to put some thinking at least around this task list and focus on the top three tasks to begin with. Mm. Um, as Peter Drucker said, productivity is essentially what you don't do. So prioritize and then cut anything that doesn't add value. If you can't get rid of it completely, then you either want to automate it if it is a process-oriented step-by-step task or outsource it online You know, using applications like Upwork or Freelancer.com. You can find someone who can do things for you for, say, between 5 and 10 US dollars and do them quite well. And then test the T in P-Coats, which essentially when people waste their time, it's because either they are jumping to conclusions with the wrong idea mm. or they are in paralysis analysis. Best way to get out of paralysis analysis is to just test um, where there's ambiguity, where there's uncertainty, test. So test quickly, learn what's worth doing, learn what's not worth doing. And then finally, S was for start your engines. So start your engines is essentially all those little things you can do to help you get in the zone, whether that's exercise, nutrition, getting your you know seven to eight hours of sleep a night, whether that's uh, starting with the hardest task first, but just doing the smallest possible piece. So if I'm writing a 2000 word blog post, if I just tell myself just 200 crappy words, <laughs> doesn't matter how, how crappy they are. Once you do that, you build that momentum and it's much easier to keep going. You know, the laws of physics, and that extends to the start component also extends to things like using Brain FM, which is an awesome binaural beats platform where you essentially listen to white noise, but it helps you get into that psychological state of flow, um, which occurs at the intersection of your alpha and theta brainwaves, which is kind of like catching a wave um, out mm. in the surf where the rest of the world fades away and you're completely immersed in that one task. Um, so Peacoats is a framework work. And I, I reflect on this often um, with a, a quadrant I call um, the strategy quadrant, where in each part of that quadrant, you have start, stop, more, less. So reflect on your customers, your products, your features, your marketing channels, your sales channels, how you spend your time. What should you start doing, stop doing, 
do more of, do less of. Because we need to be a lot more intentional about how we spend every hour as entrepreneurs because we're not sitting in a corporate environment. We've got, we haven't got the comfort of that regular paycheck coming in and that bonus to look forward to. Time is your most precious commodity. And so you need to be very, very diligent about how you spend it. Mm, I love that. And I, I pulled up that article in HBR as you were talking. I'll be sure and link to that in the uh, in the show notes. Uh, good stuff there. Well, uh, in the time we have left, I've got a couple of questions, Steve, I want to ask you about not directly related to content from the book. But before I do that, is there anything else from the book you want to make sure that, that we walk away with? Really, it is about people determining whether or not entrepreneurship is right for them. Um, that's something I explore in the book because people might get enamored by the bright lights of movies like The Social Network and publications like Mashable and TechCrunch and the read about startups raising hundreds of millions of dollars and all that sort of stuff. They may hate their job. They may hate their boss, but entrepreneurship isn't necessarily the answer. As um, Laurie Greiner, one of the Shark Tank judges put it, entrepreneurs will quit a 40-hour-a-week job paying them $80,000 for an 80-hour-a-week job paying them $40,000, um, which <laughs> is often true in the first year or two. So consider your alternatives um, and also reflect on why you actually want to pursue entrepreneurship. You know, if it's because you hate your job or, or your boss, then find another job. If you're not really digging the industry you're in anymore, join another industry. If you want the excitement of a startup rather than starting your own, maybe join a startup that's already got some funding and some of that uncertainty is taken out of the picture and you can focus on developing sh- strengths in, in a new area. So just be careful about why you're exploring entrepreneurship because I see so many people doing it for the wrong reasons and, mm-hmm. and then the results are as you would expect. Now, I love that you, you spent a chapter on that in the book and, and admitted that you know, this is not necessarily right for everybody. And if you discover it's not for you, then here are some alternatives, some paths you can consider. Well, you, you mentioned a lot of, of books in the writing of your book. Uh, so this may be a tough question to answer, but I'd love for you to think about the books that you've read the last few years that have had a huge impact on you. Which are the two or three, Steve, would you say have had the greatest impact on you and, and why? Sure. So I guess the Lean Startup by Eric Ries was something I read back in 2011 when it first came out. Um, And that essentially introduced the concept of um, rapid experimentation to determine which of your assumptions underpinning your business model are true and which are false. So many entrepreneurs, 96% of startups fail. More often than not, it's because of market failure, because they haven't spent enough time validating problem, solution, customer segment, and so on that underpins their business model. Um, And then they think it's a marketing problem. So they'll spend a ton of money and time on people, on ads and things of that persuasion, trying to get people to use their product. But more often than not, it's not a marketing problem. It's a value proposition problem. So The Lean Startup was a book that can help you find that value proposition. But we've also have a an extract of that methodology in Employee to Entrepreneur um, if people just want a, a quick crash course on how mm. to apply that. The second would have been The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss, um, which I also read around 2010. And for me, that book just opened my eyes to not necessarily methods or, or techniques that I could apply, but it got me to question the, the status quo. You know, I talked earlier about people living a false purpose. And when Tim Ferriss introduced the concept of actually, you don't need to work a 40-hour week. You could actually work maybe a 10-hour week doing your own thing by building your own online business. And how much do you actually need initially to get going? And what he did in that book just started to get me to question a lot of the long-held assumptions and beliefs that um, I had held true um, Mm. in my life. And once you start 
questioning these things, you just see a whole world of opportunity. Um, and so that was a real, I, I guess it really helped galvanize me on, on, onto the entrepreneurial pathway. And then the other book would be uh, Meditations by Marcus Aurelius, which I mentioned earlier. This is the one book I actually take with me wherever I go. Um, I do a lot of travel for work and if I am feeling a little bit, say, say unbalanced mentally, emotionally, I will just open this book. I'll read a, a passage of it, maybe two, and that will just bring me back uh, more often than not. So the entrepreneurial mindset is just as important as the what you do, as your technical ability, because there's heaps of folks out there with technical ability, but unless you have the mindset right, you're probably not going to stay the course. Love it. Well, as a successful speaker, Steve, um, what have you found to be the tips or techniques you pass along to others who want to improve in the skill of public speaking? One, one thing I do tell them is you need to tell the story. Um, and, you know, that's probably been done to death by now, <laughs> I, I think, as far as advice is concerned. But, you know, breaking down your story into context and characters, challenge and resolution. So context and characters, what happened, what challenges were there, and how did you overcome that essentially? And that tends to keep people glued to their seats throughout the presentation. I, I try to make it relatable and, and personal in some way. So I gave a talk recently at uh, the Startup Grind APAC conference in front of about 500 people. And I was very uh, vulnerable in that, mm-hmm. where, whereby I would have pictures of me in zebra print pants <laughs> uh, from my glam rock days, uh, talking about how I was once upon a time very creative. And then the very next photo was of me in a suit and tie, short hair. And I'm basically making the point that, th- and then this happened. I went from long hair, zebra print pants, playing in a rock band to just following society's conventions of what success looked like. And as a byproduct of that, the very next slide was of me on all fours with a beer in my mouth, partying somewhere. And essentially the the purpose of that was to illustrate that I was miserably comfortable. So I found myself living for the weekend Mm. and drinking perhaps more than I should have because work just did not fill me with any sense of fulfillment. So I looked for a reprieve through alcohol um, and and chasing uh, the opposite sex and all those things you do um, when perhaps life, your job isn't that satisfying. Mm. Um, and, And so that really got people glued to their seats and it was a short eight minute presentation but my method for determining whether or not i really nailed it or not is to see how many people actually come up to me after after i finished speaking and on this particular occasion like i was swamped there was 20 people around me and and that's not always the case i've had occasions where nobody came up to uh, up to me afterwards but over time i think you learn how to tell a good story you learn how to make good pauses cut out all the junk um keep it to one key message per per slide if you are using slides and and just speak slowly now on this podcast i'm speaking quickly because that's my natural style but when i am giving a, a um I talk in front of people. I I do slow down quite a bit because that way you want to make sure that the message actually lands. Mm. Well, other than, say, promotion for the book, I know it's only been out a couple of weeks. What's ahead for you and your team that's currently got you excited? Yeah, so we actually run a a children's entrepreneurship program called Lemonade Stand. Um, We've been running that for a couple of years. Um, We've rolled that out to over a thousand kids across Australia and Singapore. And just recently, we struck a a deal with a a school here in in Melbourne to build the online version of that, um, which we are in the finishing stages of. A lesson there for entrepreneurs who want to build software, rather than just build it and hope that they will come as in the field of dreams, what we actually did with this school was we said, look, you pay us to build it. We'll build it based on your recommendations um, and you will get lifetime subscription. 
But we will have then the opportunity to go and sell this to absolutely every other school for an annual fee. Um, and because we've got this school on board, we've got our first customer, we've got a testimonial, um, we know we've built something that if it works for them, more likely than not, it's going to work for a lot of other schools that we're dealing with. Um, and so we should have a much easier time selling this once it's ready to go. So, And we've also de-risked it for ourselves because we haven't spent any of our own money building it. So this is something that's really exciting for us because it is a, a scalable tool that we're hoping to not only uh, roll out across Australia, but across the UK, uh, the US and Singapore. Um, and then potentially, who knows, maybe we'll have uh, versions in other languages. But the thing that's really exciting me right now, because kids for so long have just been learning to remember and regurgitate in standardized mm. assessment situations. Going forward, kids are going to need to learn to be more adaptable, to learn how to learn, and again, to develop that positive relationship with adversity. You know, teaching them resilience in resilience classes isn't enough because as Plato said, we're not really ready for philosophy before 30 because we haven't been through enough. <laughs> but if you can give them an avenue to become more resilient, whether it's through signing them up for, a, say, a Brazilian jiu-jitsu class or whether it's through entrepreneurship, I think that will go a long way to helping them build the mindset that's required to succeed in a, in a fast-moving 21st century. Well, if, if you desire to move from employee to entrepreneur and you value my opinion at all, then it's important for you to know that, that I, I agree with Adam Grant, whose work I love, who says on the cover of Steve's book that if you've thought about making that leap, this is the manual for making it happen. The title of the book, again, is Employee to Entrepreneur, How to Earn Your Freedom and Do Work That Matters. And his name is Steve Glaveski. Steve, thank you so much for being here. And I really appreciate the, the time you've taken to share your expertise and experiences with us. Well, no, thank you so much, Jeff, for having me. And um, just thank you for the kind of work you're doing, because I think by interviewing people, not, not only like me, but everyone else that's been on your show, I mean, this is hopefully we're inspiring people out there to get better and, and to question any long held beliefs. So thank you. For quick access to the links and resources Steve and I talked about today, including the recommended books, his own book, his website, that Harvard Business Review article he mentioned, and my newsletter sign-up form so you can be the first to know about the Boss Free Virtual Summit, visit readtoleadpodcast.com slash 254 for episode 254. And don't forget about Gusto, easy online payroll benefits and HR built for modern small businesses. Demo it free for three months when you run your first payroll, gusto.com slash read to lead. I am so glad you've chosen to listen to the Read to Lead podcast. If you have any feedback or comments or questions for me, you can email them directly, jeff at read to lead podcast.com. Well, that does it for this week. I look forward to seeing you next time. Until then, remember, leaders read and readers lead. 